Welcome to The Gifted Life, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. And on this episode, Permission to Thrive. Yeah, we'll talk to one donor mother about her grief journey and how she's now helping others. Do you know the difference between a narcissist or someone who's just self-centered? She was looking at you, (laughs) Joey. (laughs) All right, that and more coming up here on The Gifted Life. You, you are part of our team, and we hope that you help us spread the word. Yeah, as always, we're easy to find. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. And, of course, we're on thegiftedlife.org. We are all over the place. When you find us, rate us and subscribe to us. Yes, and on social media, we know a lot of you are on social media out there. If you're on Facebook, find us at The Gifted Life Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Uh, We just want to get information out about making life happen. Like we said, you're part of our team, so join us. You guys ready to get to today's episode? Mm -hmm. Yep. Lots to get to. Let's do it. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are honored to introduce you to Miss Susan Miller. Hey, Miss Susan. Hi, how are you? We are good. You are the mother of Laura, a hero, right? What a journey. I am, yes. It's a journey that uh, no one wants to be on, but... um but that's, what we're, that's where we're at. And what we love and why we introduced you to our audience is because you are trying to help others heal, not only folks who are walking your walk, that journey, uh, but also clinicians and things like that. So you have a memoir out. So tell us the title and what you hope to accomplish with that. Well, I wrote Permission to Thrive because through all of the, the healing and the grief, I felt like I had gained a lot of wisdom about that process. And I wanted to share with other people that even though you're heartbroken and devastated and feel like there's really no end to the grieving, over time it has gotten better. And I've learned a lot of important lessons about talking with friends and family and processing what's happened, being able to talk about Laura and how we're still proud to be her mom, really um, just understanding how the conversations with people and being authentic and vulnerable really helps with that healing. Yeah. So you're going to introduce us to Laura in our, our hero segment here on The Gifted Life. Well, we honor a hero in every podcast. Um, but take us back to, to 2009. It was mid-January, and Laura started suffering from headaches, which you just thought was normal, right? Oh, it's very true. Um, in mid-January, she started complaining about headaches, and we called her pediatrician, and the doctor just told us to give her some Tylenol and keep in touch, and that's what we did. And we would give her the Tylenol, and the headaches would go away, and then they would come back. And a couple times she called me from school and asked me to pick her up because the headaches were getting worse. But then we had her checked out by the pediatrician and gave her a, you know, some kind of a, an exam, a short exam, and she said everything looked good. But then about four or five days later on Wednesday morning, uh, February 18th, she woke up and she threw up and, and then she asked me why I had four eyes. And then within a few minutes, she had a seizure and we called 911 
rushed her to the hospital where we were told that she had a mass at the back of her head, uh, that it was something that could be operated on uh, in two days, and uh, we were obviously in shock. And But by the end of the day, um, that evening, she had stopped breathing. The brain tumor had become too much for her, and the next thing we knew, she was uh, brought up to the ICU and hooked up to as many tubes and monitors as you can imagine, and almost immediately, um, I knew that she was gone. Mm. So we know that you received the diagnosis that Laura was brain dead, uh, which is when we start talking about donation. So we're talking to you, Susan, but you have a family, a family that knew about donation? Well, we always knew about organ donation in, in an abstract concept, and we knew that it was a worthwhile and a noble concept, but never uh, um, in, a, in a million years ever thinking we'd have to make that decision for mm-hmm. someone in our family, especially for our daughter, who was 14 at the time and had um, had been in school just that uh, previous Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And here it was only on four or five days later on Saturday that she we were being told that she was uh, you know, no longer alive. Really traumatic so, news for you and your family. Beyond, you know, it was the worst day of our life, and um, uh, an organ coordinator uh, came in, a nurse, and she gave us her condolences on that morning, and mm. and and asked us if she, if we would consider donating Laura's organs. It's had to be a tough, even though you had known from a abstract type of sense, you know, about donation. You guys had talked about it. Everything seems like it's it's going on so fast. You know, so for you to be able to say yes in that moment, you know, is is an amazing thing. What were you guys thinking when they approached you about it? We talked to Laura um, quite a lot about different adult types of ethical and moral mm-hmm. issues, but we had never talked to her specifically about organ donation. But because of the kind of child teenager she was, um, she always was a pretty giving kid and always. She always had a smile on her face and always wanted to help other people. We just imagined that this is what she would have wanted mm-hmm. um, to be able to help someone um, in this situation, although I'm sure she would never have imagined uh, this situation. And in those discussions, when our family was talking, her younger sister, Sarah, and her younger sister, Rachel, were in the room. They were um, 12 and 9 at the time. And our daughter, Sarah, um, basically heard our conversation and said, you know, Mom and Dad, if, um, if giving Laura's organs to someone else could help save a life, why wouldn't you? Mm. And that was a pretty um, strong argument in favor of doing it. Um, we also had our rabbi in the room at the time, and when we looked over to him and and asked him what um, Judaism thought about organ donation, he um, he said that um, organ donation and helping to save a person's life was the really the best mitzvah, the best mm-hmm. um, one of the highest uh, kind of things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan, how how many folks were saved by Laura's donation? Well. We donated her internal organs, and um, it was a miraculous organ donation because she had had brain cancer, and typically organs from a person who have cancer do not um, are not allowed to be um, donated. The doctors and the organ coordinators worked very hard to make sure that 
they found someone where that was a was able to be worked out. And they called, and her liver ended up matching a woman out in New York. So in prepping for the interview, we watched a, a video that you have on your page. Tell people how to find you while we're here at SusanAngelMiller.com. Yes. Um, okay. There's lots of information about the book as well as information about organ donation, post-traumatic growth, uh, grief and empathy, um, and they all can be found on SusanAngelMiller.com. So I'm also wondering, too, you said she, uh, one individual received her liver, and I understand that you all are in a relationship with her and her family. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about your relationship with Tricia? Sure. Well, after we left the hospital, after um, we left the hospital that night after we had learned that Laura had died, and a couple days later, my husband received a call from the organ coordinator telling him that it was really a miraculous kind of situation where Laura's liver had saved a woman in um, upstate New York. Um, and it's typically not uh, traditional for an organ to be placed that far away from uh, from where it, her organ was recovered. And three months later from when Laura um, passed away, we received a thank you letter from from this woman who we didn't know her name at the time because all of the identifying information had been blacked out um, through the organ donor networks. We Mm -hmm. received this letter and it was just the most heartfelt letter um, telling us how much she appreciated the organ. She told us she was a special education teacher and that some drugs that she'd been taking to cure her leukemia had basically um, destroyed her liver and that she had been in a a coma for about 10 days when she received the liver. And she just told us how appreciative she was of the gift of life. That's great. Susan, you mentioned a couple things that kind of caught my attention. One being that because she had a medulloblastoma, that is certainly obviously more challenging to, to match up, so to speak. So I'm assuming that must have taken a little bit longer from the time, you know, that they talked to you until the time of recovery. Uh, how long was that time frame for you well, guys? They, um, they, uh, the organ coordinator approached us at the maybe mid-morning, mid to late morning on that Saturday. And once we had agreed to uh, donate Laura's organs, then all of a sudden there were doctors and nursing nurses coming in and out of our room and mm-hmm. um, huddled talking to each other. And they told us that they were, um, they were searching the Milwaukee area, the Midwest area, mm-hmm. looking to see who, who would be a, a good match for her organs. Mm-hmm. Um, we stayed in the hospital, and we were just hoping that a match could be found. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, on that last call, they found that there was a patient out in New York who um, was had just become uh, on the top of the National Registry for a liver uh, donation. And so this was an organ that was very much needed and ended Mm -hmm. up saving her life. And, you know, her having cancer before, you know, with with the leukemia is has that been resolved? Is that in remission or or is she still having to fight the leukemia, you know, now that she's uh, gotten her liver transplant? No. um, Yeah. The she had been diagnosed with leukemia about a year before her liver went into failure. Um, Actually, the the medicines, the drugs she was taking to put the leukemia into remission uh, ended up destroying her liver. 
and her um, fellow teacher, she's a special education mm-hmm. teacher, and her her teach the teachers that she worked with all of a sudden um, asked her why her eyes were yellow and why her skin looked a little yellow. And so she went to her doctor, and um, basically within a couple of days, she fell into a coma um, because of the liver failure. And uh, she was then transferred from a local hospital down to a New York City hospital where um, where she was in a, a coma for 10 days. Um, and she, her basically her husband was going to say goodbye to her in the ICU wow. unit on uh, Sunday morning. And uh, the nurses were rushing around her bedside, and he he asked them what was going on, and they said, didn't you hear a liver has become available? What a gift. Wow. And we were watching that story, uh, Trisha's story, you talking about Laura, and um, we were just in in awe about how this story, just um, everyone's lives connected and the the miracle of donation. So you're a couple of years out, so uh, your thoughts on donation now on Trish. It sounds like you guys are, are close. Um, so tell us kind of where you are in your journey. Yeah. Well, um, so after we received the uh, anonymous thank you note from uh, from Trish, we started uh, sharing pictures back and forth through the different donor networks. And then we realized that after a year from the date of the donation, we could sign some paperwork to um, agree that we could each um, learn each other's contact information. And so that's what we did. We we worked through that process. And and then 18 months to the day that I brought Laura into the hospital, I received um, an envelope in the mail, and in there was Trisha's address and full name and her oh, phone number. Right. <laughs> and um, that evening we went out to dinner oh, all excited wow. that we now knew the identity of the person who had received our daughter's oh, liver. Okay. And we ended up calling her that evening. Mm-hmm. Our daughters insisted that we contact her as quickly as we could. Right. <laughs> and and that conversation was unbelievable. Oh, I um, bet. And we shared, we shared a lot of information on that phone call, and we said that we all wanted to keep in touch and eventually potentially meet. And that's what we did. Um, about two years after Laura passed away, we flew to New York City, and um, Trish and her husband Gary drove down from upstate New York, and we met in a hotel in Times Square. Mm, wow. And uh, it... Uh, we, we we met and we we hugged and um, and then we started t- telling our stories about uh, what had happened to each of our families, and it was um, it was quite a special emotional conversation. And since then, we have they've come into to Milwaukee to um, participate in a memorial run that we do every year in September to raise money for brain cancer research and organ donation. Wow! Yeah. And we've seen them up in her their cottage their lake cottage up in Pennsylvania and she's also come yes, into um, St. Louis to visit my daughter Sarah who was at college so we've we've met her four or five times it's been That's uh, great. very special so how were your daughters and your husband I mean what how was what was their reaction when you said oh we've got this letter now we know who it is how was it for them too I think they were um, they were almost more excited than I was. I was oh. a little bit more nervous right. than they were. Oh, um, they were immediately interested in contacting her. Oh, um, great. And I was a little bit nervous. It almost felt like we were going to be connecting with a long-lost um, child. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. It felt that personal and, and that meaningful that 
part of Laura was still living in um, someone That's else, right. and that 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 Laura's liver was still alive. That Laura's that Laura had given someone else life, and in fact, our you know our, our rabbi when he had um, told us that uh, organ donation was such a wonderful um, a wonderful act. He said, you know, you save the life of one person, you save the world. Yeah. And yeah. I think about that often because when I when we met uh, Trisha's family, we met her extended family, and um, at the end of one of the dinners, her father, who was about, I think, 85 years old, he gave me a hug and he whispered yeah. into my ear, um, yeah. we're, forever, we're forever grateful. Mm, that ripple keep, effect. Yeah. Exactly. Because if, if she had passed away... From, from the liver failure, which she would have done, mm-hmm. um, her entire community and family would have been grief-stricken. Mm. And, one, and one thing didn't uh, change the other. No matter, what, no matter what, we couldn't have saved Laura because the brain cancer that she had was so virulent and so advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of what happened to Laura, which seems like such a meaningless event, it, um, by knowing that Trish survived because of what had happened, it just gave some meaning to something that seemed so senseless. Mm. Mm -hmm. Laura's legacy, I love it. Uh, Now, talk to us about Laura's sister wanting to spread the word about organ donation, wanting to save more lives in Laura's honor. Uh, Sarah had been such a big proponent of organ donation because of meeting Trish that when she went to college at um, Washington University in St. Louis, she began a chapter, uh, an advocacy, an organ donation advocacy chapter called SODA, Student Organ Donation Advocates. And really, she wanted to educate college students about, about all areas of organ donation and to encourage them to register to become donors. And now, um, after she's graduated, she now lives in New York City and she wants to continue spreading the word about these. Um, she wants to keep spreading the education to other high school yes. and college campuses, and that's what she's doing. She created Soda National, and she already has. They already have about fourteen chapters across the country that are doing similar wow. things. Okay, so our next podcast guest, right, Sarah? Yep. So yep, no Susan, doubt. you're going to have to hook us up there. Yeah. Uh, we do want you to tell us a little bit more uh, about the book. What do you think folks will get from it, and then how can they find it? Well, so I've written a memoir called Permission to Thrive, My Journey from Grief to Growth. And I wrote the book because of the lessons that I've learned through the grieving process, uh, through um, the empathy that I received from the people in my community, what I've learned about growth after trauma, that we actually become stronger after surviving a um, a traumatic loss. And that we get more, we we increase our gratitude for life, we develop more compassion for other people facing challenges, and we really get a renewed sense of purpose in our life because of what we've experienced. And so um, I found that the book has been helpful to me, it's been a good legacy uh, for people to remember Laura by, and it is just a source of, I think, inspiration to say that, yes, you can go through the worst and still uh, come out and be and, and live a healthy and a meaningful life. And so the memoir can be found on my website, SusanAngelMiller.com, or um, on Amazon. It's available in paperback or Kindle version. 
and um, you know, and the actual the proceeds from the book are going to be donated to uh, organ donation efforts and um, to increase brain cancer research. So hopefully, we can find a cure to what killed Laura. Wow. We love your story, Miss Susan. We thank you for um, joining us, for contacting the Gifted Life, and for taking the time. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you so much. All right, Susan Miller, she'll be back with us as we honor Laura here on The Gifted Life. At this point on The Gifted Life, we're checking in with our mental health guru, our gal, Sal. That's right. Sal is going to talk about narcissism versus self-centeredness. I'm all ears. All right. It is all about each of us, though, right? Right. Right. Especially me. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm going to hold you all up. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, most of us, well, not most of us, all of us are born, you know, being self-centered because it is just us. Right. However, um, we don't remain self-centered. We do, as we engage with others and our family members, we become more empathetic. We learn Many of us learn how to share uh, and, you know, kind of put ourselves in other people's shoes, so to speak, as to what's going on, you know, for them. Uh, But we never cease to be self-centered. But on the other hand, for narcissists, everything has to be about them or it's all about me. Mm -hmm. I cannot be flexible enough now to be empathetic to what your needs are because it doesn't count. I'm kind of busy. Let's go, Sal. What else you got? That's (laughs) it. (laughs) And so the main thing is they don't have empathy, those who are narcissists. And that's really the big difference between being self-centered because, again, as I just mentioned, we all have that self-centered, you know, core to us. Um, But then the problem is that once you can be empathetic to other person's needs or wants and 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 realize that that kind of puts you as that uh, I'm all about the universe to the side and you're able to reach out you're able to offer a helping hand you're able to say here let me help with this or whatever the case may be and also you know people who are uh, narcissistic have a really wonderful sense of being grandiose mm. Because, you know, you, you hear this. If, Laura, if it wasn't for me, I'm sure this podcast would never happen. <laughs> okay? That slipped right off her tongue. <laughs> so I'm like, no practice or anything. <laughs> now, you know, but the, the difference is self-centered people might say, well, you know, just notice me. Right. Because mm-hmm. we all like to be noticed. We all right. like to well, have Especially if my hair is done that day. <laughs> well, there you go. I'll take a picture. But, you know, people who are narcissistic say, mm, just wait a minute now. Look how special and wonderful I am, and the rest of you don't count. Yeah, we all right. know folks like that, don't we? I mean, yeah. really, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine social media plays a part in that. It I mean, I can does. because you see. I do not people need to that... know what you're eating, Joe. I do not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm go. saying. Yeah. Well, and you know, most of the time too, when you run across folks like this, breaking the rules. Well, you know, the rules don't apply to me. Oh, they yeah, only right. apply to you guys. And, I mean, I have known a number of individuals who do have that sort of 
characteristic, if mm. you will, about them. Uh, but until I really realized what it was that was going on with them, um, you know, many times they say, you know, we can rationalize that. Well, okay, you know, maybe I kind of hedged a little bit on this, but but I'm okay, and I understand that. I've shared that with you. Mm-hmm. Now you all kind of understand. But if I'm truly a narcissist, I, I don't care if you understand or not because it really didn't matter about you all. Right, mm-hmm. and I'm moving on. It, that's it, that's it, <laughs> the bottom line. But anyway, that, those are just some of the ways to tell the difference. But the main thing I think that I want to get across for individuals is the fact that we are, it is all about us individually because that's that's how we are. But when you have no empathy and you cannot see how that other person may or may not feel or react to what you say, that's when you know, oops, I might want to kind of steer a little bit clear of this particular person with some people behavior. need a little help seeing that you know mm-hmm. help well, them right. along that's i just it. try to be a good human i just try to go out and be a good human there you go and add some sparkle to somebody's life each that's, day there you go that's it so i'm listening and trying to figure out where i fit in on this i hope i'm self-centered <laughs> but empathy you know have empathy for you us. Are. But, but if but if if i was or, or i knew someone that uh i say man that that really you know could impact this person right so how would i I get is there a way to help is there something to to, what should i do about it well the unfortunate thing is that that this is really part of individuals personality which begins you know very very early on and we usually our personalities are developed by the age of three so the difficulty here you might recognize that in a person Mm -hmm. They don't. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, they don't think there's anything wrong with their behavior. They think there's something wrong with you for <laughs> pointing out that they have some sort of inferior sort of thought right. processes, which so then it really boils down to I don't know if you can really refer someone to get help if they don't see that there's something debilitating to others about their thought process or the way that they're interacting with others. Uh, it's one of those situations that kind of tough to call, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yep. All right. Well, we appreciate you, Sally. We always learn a lot. Do you have a topic that you want Sally to tackle? Info at thegiftedlife.org. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Laura Miller. And today we learn more about Laura from her mother, Susan Miller. Our oldest daughter, Laura, was 14 years old and um, a second semester honors student at high school when she was diagnosed with a rare cancerous brain tumor and died just a few days later. Laura was an amazing child. She was an old soul from the very beginning who enjoyed talking with adults as much or even more than hanging out with her friends. She loved hearing their stories, and she loved telling her own dramatic ones. In school, she was really academically very talented and motivated. She was very studious, and if there was a worksheet that she could fill out, instead of just filling out one sentence or one word, she would, in her beautiful uh, handwriting, she would write an entire paragraph and then actually write vertically on the page and tell the teacher she was to turn over the page to the next, uh, next page because she had so much to say. She spent a lot of her free time creating fashion designs and writing creative stories, solving brain teasers, and um, she loved traveling with her family, too. 
She was really determined to achieve her goals. She wanted to be editor-in-chief of a fashion magazine, and everyone who knew her knew that she would achieve her goal. And uh, in school, she was just a kind person. She advocated for everyone, every one of her classmates to be treated fairly by the teachers and other students, and she made sure, she always made sure to give extra attention to classmates who uh, seemed in need of a friend. She didn't waste any time in her brief life and inspired both her friends and her family with all of her kindness and her, her smiles. And although we never specifically discussed her wishes regarding organ donation, we just know in our hearts that she would have been proud to have saved someone's life, and, and that's what she did. We miss Laura each and every day, and we feel blessed to have been her parents. She was a miracle in our lives and also in Trisha's. And now we pause to say thank you to Laura for the gift of life. In our question and answer segment today, how many people can benefit from one donor, one hero? As our chief clinical officer here at Lope, I'm going to toss that to you, mister. Well, and, and that's a tough question to answer to be very specific, but the answer really is a lot. A lot. Uh, you know, with, with an organ donor, generally speaking, the most we can recover uh, usually is right around eight uh, we've recovered uh, and transplanted eight organs many times before, but the possibility is even there for a ninth. Mm-hmm. Uh, should you have all the organs recovered and transplanted and able to split the liver at the same time and, and send one segment to one patient and the other segment to, to another. So eight to nine for organ uh, transplant. And then with tissue transplant, more than 50. And, and you know, you never know. Sometimes, you know, grass can be used even you know, you can you can use more grass mm-hmm. with tissue donors, and it could be maybe 70, 75, and, and above that. In addition to tissues, of course, eyes, we can give sight to two different people. Mm-hmm. And then there's the research aspect that, look, who knows? Some of the research, uh, you know, projects that we've got going on can potentially benefit or save the lives of thousands in the future. It's just so hard to pinpoint but the answer, honestly, is a lot. You know, that's that's about the best I can answer you, Laura. It's amazing. And when we're out in the community and we start having these conversations, I always say, you just never know what's coming tomorrow because right. advancements happen all the time. We have all these partners that you've heard here on The Gifted Life talk about what's to come. So it's just such a good thing. So we appreciate the question. Joe, thanks for tackling that one. And thanks for listening. Well, Joey, that's some good information for people to know, uh, because sometimes I think individuals go, oh, I can only donate just my organs or, you know, so Mm -hmm. to hear all that should certainly help folks understand it better. If you have a question or a story you'd like to share, you can email us info at thegiftedlife.org, or you can reach us on social media, or you can call us. What's that number? That number is 504-648-3477. We'd like to hear from you. And that'll do it for episode 107 of The Gifted Life. Yes, special thanks to Susan Miller for not only sharing Laura and Laura's story with us, but sharing everything that she's been doing in her family and her other daughter. It's unbelievable what this family has been doing to to pay it forward to everyone else and then Mm -hmm. and then the fact that she ends up with a brain tumor as well you know what a story yeah she shared that with us and it was just like 
wow, wow. this is a person on yes. a mission, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. And, and just think of how inspirational that must be for others to read her book, to hear her story. I can't wait. And uh, I mean, it's got to be just reaching lots of folks out there about bringing the awareness of donation to families. And I just love that not only reaching out to other donor families, recipients, but the clinicians, the folks who were making life happen. Mm -hmm. So we love that. And of course, uh, we're going to continue to follow her story, her family story, and share that with you here on The Gifted Life. Uh, We certainly appreciate you listening. Maybe you were inspired um, to get that little heart or that notation on your license to say, yes, I want to be a registered donor. Registerme.org, you can do that. Takes less than two minutes. And man, the impact that you can make. So we thank you. Um, Hopefully you'll go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. You're part of our team. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sally Gentry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Perez.